Well, you can talk about film. Gotta be quicker than this. You can talk about film with a philosopher's zeal or measure them all by box office appeal, but for once in your life... Be real! Well, guess who's coming to podcast? Welcome, one and all, to Be Real. Guys, my name is Chance Solon Pfeiffer. And I'm Noah Ballard. And you're listening to a special mini-episode of our show. We're talking about the number one movie in America, Get Out. Get Out. Get You Get Out. Uh, this no, I don't, I don't want to. I want to talk about this movie. Great, right, let's get in. Um, yeah, this is the writing directorial... Uh, filmic debut Jordan Peele who you know from the comedy duo of Key and Peele and it is a uh, racial allegory of a horror comedy wouldn't you say I don't think it's that funny (laughs) yeah yeah it's being like definitely played up as a horror comedy I guess like to get people in the door but it's like not funny at all it's just kind of like scary there aren't I mean there's the character of Rod but there aren't gags no, there are no gags. I was waiting for some gags. Uh-huh. There are no... Key is definitely the gag man of the duo. <laughs> sure, sure. Yeah, I suppose like kind of uncomfortable. Peel's going for the throat of like political now. Uncomfortable and, uh, laughing. Um, and Key's got the, gim- the, got, the, got the goofs. Sure. Uh, well, let's, uh, let's dive in and assess whether we think he, he gets that throat. Uh, people, I think it's fair to say most people think he did, but we'll get to our opinion. So An unprecedented 100% on Rotten Tomatoes. It's not an original premise at all. It's uh, Jordan Peele's seen a lot of horror movies. It's, he's described it himself very plainly as a mix of Guess Who's Coming to Dinner, Guess Who's Coming to Dinner, and Stepford Wives. Um, it's a, a black photographer uh, in his 20s who lives in New York City named Chris. He has a white girlfriend, Rose, played by Allison Williams. Uh, they've been together for a while. Things are going pretty well. She's going to take him uh, to... You live in New York. Where does she take him? Well, she takes him, like, upstate. Ritzy upstate neighborhood to meet her white parents. He's nervous. Did you tell them I'm black, he asks. She says, no, it's going to be fine. They, they are, would have voted for you, Obama for a third term. And Bradley Whitford's going to tell you that, she says. And, of course, he, he does. Because does. they're um, good white people. So they get there, and things are fine, but are they? weird. <laughs> Thing, I mean, they seem okay at first, but but they are weird. Like Bradley Woodford drops a, a my man in the in the first moment of meeting. And I think one of the great things about this movie is that Jordan Peele knows that every single person in the audience is hanging on every word that everyone says to see like how this dynamic is going to unfold right. here. Um, and so there are some incredible things where Bradley Whitford is like giving him a tour of the house. And he just mentions casually that there's like black mold in the basement. And everyone in my theater is just kind of like, you can feel everything kind of like clenching a little bit. Yeah. Um, and then he like shows him like the the black wall of fame when uh, where Jesse Owens. Mm-hmm. So he's got pictures of his grandfather who competed against Jesse Owens, um, and it's like all hung up weirdly in like the kitchen. And you're like, why is there this weird thing where it's like we're celebrating the time my grandfather didn't win? That's the first act of this movie, and then you find we should say you you find out that uh, Allison Williams's mom, played by Catherine Keener, he's a neurosurgeon. Her dad is she's a hypnotist. Um, or like a, well, a therapist who uses hypnotherapy. Yes, who can uh, 
um, claims to be able to cure Chris of his of his want to smoke cigarettes. Um, the offer is like sort of jokey. She eventually, at the end of the first act, she does put him under hypnosis though. And by the way, uh, we're gonna do half of this spoiler free, and then go see this movie. Get out of our podcast and, and go see it. Yeah, just give us a quick back. pause. We'll be right here when you get back, and like go spend ninety minutes with this this movie. So you guys coming up from the city? Yeah, we're just heading up for the weekend. Can I see your license, please? He wasn't driving. I didn't ask who was driving. I asked to see his ID. Call me Dean and you're hungry, my man. So how long has this been going on, this, this thing? Obviously, <laughs> yes, something is going on. There wouldn't be a movie if there wasn't something going on because right. they're white and he's black. But that's what's so interesting about this movie is you're going in looking for the microaggressions that yeah. these people could like commit against each other and mm-hmm. you are totally missing the bigger like thing which is the like the i mean can we get into like i don't um, know how you talk about this movie without getting into spoilers because like that's the whole point of this movie it's a horror movie of course there's like a crazy like m9 Shyamalan twist sure um yeah i guess i would just say before we truly broach that subject like i think that is what is so great about what makes it so topical is like, this is a sort of movie and it, it plays on this with Chris where he's just like, am I really noticing these things? Am I being the one who's crazy right. here? Like that. that it's a paranoia. I mean, it's based on paranoia and the paranoia is yeah. twofold in this movie. One, it's Chris's paranoia of like, are these people treating me really strange or like, am I just making this up? And then the audience who's coming in, you know, having this like big, big sort of like what's politically correct sort of like racial thing in their minds. And then you're also like paranoid that like maybe what I'm seeing like is racist or isn't racist. And you're never sure until you like are. Yeah. So the movie is basically like, it's kind of like an attack on people who, or I should say it's like a heightened skewering of people who are like, you're just imagining things, man. Like, that guy didn't look at you weird. Um, and it's a horror movie, so, like, he did look at you weird. And there's a big, big reason why. Right. But that's the thing. Like, the the gimmick of the movie is, like, sort of, like, scientifically preposterous. Uh, will you grant me that? Oh, sure. <laughs> but, like, the fact that it is happening is not preposterous. Right. Like, the fact that, like, the details of them getting away with this, like, horrible thing that they're doing is like not it's it's plausible sure jordan peele did a a, a q a in in the times like a few weeks ago i think and, he, and someone was just like asked a very um plain question of like what are the similarities between horror and comedy um and he's just like you have to remember to keep it grounded like obviously it's going to be heightened obviously it's going to be crazy but you have to keep it grounded enough that like it doesn't take people out of the movie and the script of this movie is so good we can talk if you want about how maybe the directorial chops like aren't quite there Um, oh well that's yeah that's like what's interesting keep going but the script of the movie the premise the ideas are the ideas that he puts on screen and even like the small moments of action he puts on screen it doesn't matter if he films them in an average or slightly above average way it's the ideas are so complete yeah it's what's fun about this movie is you are seeing jordan peele who's an like a like a plus writer yeah figuring out like what it means to be a film director Mm-hmm. And what you get is, like, a lot of sort of weird coverage, but also, like, a lot of, like, very weird and fun shots. Like, the opening shot of this movie 
like where it hangs where the title credits are is like mm-hmm. a stunning shot. Yeah. And it's like it frames violence very well because it's like a it's like a wide shot, so you can't really like miss anything. Mm-hmm. And they just like go for it. And it's like really interesting how they do that. And there's a few more shots in there. Again, like I don't want to spoil anything, but there's, you know, towards the the climax of the film when he's in the house sort of running around. Like that's beautifully shot. Yeah, it's true. Um so I guess I would just say before we go to before we go to spoiler land, if I can pray I mean I think our tone is is pickupable. Oh on, yeah. But this is probably the I was trying to think about this. You know, it's not a movie that you, I got like lost in cinematically, but it's probably the most into intellectually like stimulating experience I've had in terms of like why are those two characters interacting that way and what does that mean since probably whiplash was the closest thing I could come up with that's a really good reference um yeah I don't know I think I got lost in it pretty good uh as a movie I don't love horror movies Oh, me neither. So like they what, freak me out. Right. I'm, I'm so what I appreciated about this movie was there was never it was never cheap. You know, right. like the the horror things in it weren't like gross. There's really no gore in this movie. And then like the shots in it that are truly scary are just so well composed, it's why they're scary. Like there's this one scene where like the he so he gets to this house. If you haven't seen this movie and you're listening to this, you're ridiculous. But he gets to this house <laughs> and Bradley Whitford and Catherine Keener, who are like, you know, good white people or whatever, employ like two like black people wearing like oh, very right, right. dated clothing, and they look like it's like the 1950s. And these people are like still in like you know, things haven't be, been desegregated yet. And right. they're like, don't worry about it. Like, they were taking care of my parents, and then we hired them, and they're like family. But then, like, he interacts with them, and they're weird. They're mm-hmm. super weird. And yes, that's the Stepford Wife component, by the way. And there's this great and they, scene. And they talk like, the guy talks like Dave Chappelle's impression of a white person. Which is by design, but we can get to yeah. that. Yeah. Um, but there's this great scene where the like the husband who is running the house, the landscape guy, it's like the middle of the night and Chris sneaks out to smoke a cigarette and the dude just fucking bolts at him like from the edge of the woods. And it's from so far away from so far away. And Chris is like, is this guy going to stop? And eventually, like, he just like makes an abrupt like right turn. Yeah. But. Yeah, it's so. It's- and then he like is completely off balance for when he goes back inside. And then Catherine Keener's like. What if I hypnotize you? <laughs> yeah. Um, it's things like it's things like that though, where like I don't I don't think Peel is the most artful in that shot, but it's such a great idea. He's just like set up the camera and have this guy run toward it, and it's very, very scary. Right. Um yeah. and yeah, it's got good music and everything. Let me ask you this. Did you think this was like also maybe one of the most efficient movies you've seen in a while? It was pretty, yes. It like doesn't have a scene in it that you don't absolutely 100% need. It's true. And I think that's another another credit to the writing and organization of Peel's ideas. Right. I mean, it's written like, I mean, it has like the the writing of like a a really good hour of television or something. Yeah. But like, yeah. So can we get to spoiler land? Because I like need to get into this. Do it. Now, presumably, you've seen the movie and you've realized that the reason that Chris is at this house is not to meet his new girlfriend's parents, 
but in fact, because he is a vessel, like they're recruiting vessels who can mm-hmm. like take white people with like ailments and like take their brain out of their bodies and like put them into these like young, healthy black men's bodies. Right. And that's the procedure that Bradley Whitford does like the, the surgical part of and his wife does like the psychological part of it. And then Allison Williams and her like weird brother are just the ones like picking oh, up God. the bodies. Uh-huh. So there's this party too. Like they have this weird family dinner and then the next day there's this party and he like meets all these people. So many old white people. So many old white people. And then you're like, and there's like this one black guy and you're like, what is he doing there? But he's also like talking very like much like a stereotype like of a white person. Yeah. Who you recognize it from the cold open, by the way. We forgot to say there's a cold open where Keith Stanfield is walking through a suburb and gets dragged, put in a sleeper hole and dragged to a car. It's him. Right. And so... Yeah, but when the reveal comes and this is happening, you realize that, like, that party you witnessed was a slave auction, essentially. Yeah, basically. They, like, take him off and he, like, has this meaningful conversation with Allison Williams and they cut back to this scene that, like, until you really sort of get the movie, makes absolutely no sense. Mm -hmm. And you realize, he says, like, let's go play bingo. And he's standing there on this stage and there's people in these seats, like, looking at him and they're sitting down. And there's a picture of Chris in the background and he go he puts like one finger up and then two yeah. fingers up and then however many and then he lands on 10 and people are raising their hands and you realize it's an auction. Yeah. Like something is going on where uh, money is being given over for something about this man and you realize it is his body because yep. this is essentially they're buying him his body. He's a slave. Yeah. Um and what I just love about this, I mean, I'll get into the the big thing I love about this now is like, that's a great twist. Yeah. And it has this amazing way of blending like very new racial concerns with like very old racial concerns. Right. Like, the way that they talk to Chris throughout the movie. One of the most amazing things about this movie is nobody utters a racial epithet. No. The entire time. They're all sort of, but they they kind of like grab him and like feel his arm, right? And, and like talk about how much they admire like Jesse Owens and Obama and Tiger Woods and like all these sort of like uh, great like, capital G black men. Yeah. Um, and it kind of reminded me of this like this thing that happens. It reminded me of uh, a scene in Do the Right Thing where Mookie's talking to Pino and he's just like, "Who's your favorite ball player?" Magic Johnson, who's your favorite artist? Prince. And it's just like, why do you hate black people so much? It's like, well, those people aren't black people. And there's this thing that happens when like white people, because this is like how I was in my like practically all white high school. We idolized black people and like famous black people. But so then you have that dynamic that happens like when white people (laughs) tend to just be like among themselves in a certain socioeconomic level and then combine it with this sort of eugenic right. sort of plot. Um, but it's like reverse eugenics, but like in a way that's no less racist. Exactly. Yes. Thank you. That's, but, and that's, that's the it. thing. And you realize the reason that, well, you first, you, you realize first that like all the black people that you've encountered, save for the people, save for his best friend, uh, who ultimately saves him, they're all white people in black people's bodies. And that's mm-hmm. why they've been behaving that way. But then you also realize the way in which every character has talked to Chris throughout the whole movie has been as an object. Yeah. Like a physically fit object. And mm-hmm. like the weird conversation with the brother where he's like, have you ever thought about like mixed martial arts? 
Like he's just Ugh. thinking about him as like a thing, like a unit, like a body. Yeah. And then, you it's know, like a vetting process. For right. Him and physically. even like, and that's the thing, like even Allison Williams is playing like one of those, like he, she like puts up a fight with the cop, like claiming he's racist. She's like yeah. also playing to his, like, just like pacifying these like needs that he has as a black man in 2017. And you know what I just thought about? Forgive me, this probably is not a great discovery, but I just saw this movie two hours ago. That's why they don't want him to smoke. Right. Because they're going to put this auction winner's body in him. Right. They just don't want people to see him smoking and think that he's like not a good specimen. Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah. There. So there is, it is ambitious. And yet, like, this isn't a movie that like, yells all this stuff at you no it just unfolds in that like weird you know what it kind of reminded me of too in structure which was brilliant was like ex machina it's almost like it's like using that same sort of i mean especially the climax is like very similar Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. because like did you did you think going into the end of this movie that chris was like when you figured out the turn I was almost positive that Chris was going to die. I thought so too. Like a hundred percent certain he was going to die. I thought the ending of the movie was going to be when he's over her body and was like choking her and the cop pulls up. It was going to be the cop from the original one and he was going to shoot him. Exactly. Well, and this is such a, somehow it manages to pull off this horror conspiracy, but to keep you, enough in reality that when the police officer shows up after Chris has dispatched violently dispatched this whole family cuz he had to right everyone's just like oh my god it's like he played into like the crazy aggressive black guy stereotype right. now the cops are going to kill him and my theater at 3 o'clock in the afternoon applauded when it turned out to be rod Right. Oh, yeah, yeah. Mine did, too. I was in Lincoln, Nebraska, of all places. Yeah. So it's it has that like it can take you through all this and then but you're still because that's, like, in touch enough with the surface that you're like, oh, my God. Like right. so, a dynamic that happens in real life. Ultimately, if you boil down all these characters, like the white people are the bad guys and like the black guys, the good guy. And like, there's sure. no, there's no shades of gray in this about like, if you, if you were drawing like our line in the racial sand, there's like, you know, <laughs> right. You think that maybe Allison Williams is like a victim here too, but right. she's, she's not, not. she's when she not. pulls her ponytail back and is becomes the Aryan ideal. She is not right. So then you'd think shooting him at the end would be the ultimate, like, look what you people did. Like, fuck you. And yeah. then, but it's hopeful. It's saying that. My read on the end is, like, if you really, like, do have sort of a society that is actually equal and you have, like, a guy like that who could show up with some sort of authority and figure things out, then things are fine. Yeah, that's a good point. And what Rod says to him in the car is not, like, white people are crazy. It's, I told you not to do that. As in, like, you put too much faith and like you just didn't cover your own back enough. Like we're not this is we don't live in a post racial world. Like you should have been more careful. Right. But it also yeah. like but I think it like the fact that it harks back to the community itself as being like what like what ultimately provides the salvation of this film. Yeah. Is like an interestingly hopeful message. Are you ready to rate it? Absolutely. Why don't we uh hear how we do things around here? All movies and most of life can be described with our rating system. The four categories are good, good, 
bad bad, good bad, and bad good. The first good or bad refers to intellectual quality. The second is pure pleasure. Good good is easy, things that make you feel smart and happy, and that for both reasons you'd want to do again, like watching The Departed or Jaws or calling your pal to do a podcast with him. Good good movies make Noah say, Love that. Bad bad is easy too, things that bring you neither stimulation nor joy. Basically, you just wasted your time. Things like watching White Chicks or Wild Wild West, a conceptual double album of Christian pop punk. Bad bad movies make Chance say things like, I hated that. Good Bad, then, is something you recognize as worthwhile, but not something you enjoy. Schindler's List, Requiem for a Dream, Most Classical Music, Eating Your Goddamn Vegetables. Good Bad is about being an adult, and these kinds of movies make Noah say... I mean, I'm glad I saw it once, but never again. Conversely, Bad Good is for your thoughtless inner child. It's Cheetos, it's late career Billy Joel, it's movies like Christmas Vacation... Honey? Kids? And Deep Blue Sea. Bad good movies make chance say, but it failed in such an entertaining way. Got all that? Now buckle up, because you're about to hear an opinion stated as fact. So my my challenge with this movie is like, because horror movies are tough, right? By design, horror movies are, by our rating system, like at most sometimes good bad. Yeah. Um, and that's sort of my question is like, would I see this movie again? Mm-hmm. And I think like once you know the twist to it, it's not, but maybe it, it has more levels to it. But the other worry that I have too, is that this movie's going to be dated pretty quickly. You think so? I think it's going to be like shamelessly ripped off and, but like in 10 years, it's not going to have the same teeth that it does right now. But political things that are steeped in politics, they change. You If you watch Sidney Poitier and Spencer Tracy and guess who's coming to dinner, that's going to look in a lot of ways, like a right. different world. Right. And I think this is what makes this movie so good is that it is an artifact of like right now. Yeah. And it'll definitely like, if you rewatch it in years, you'll sort of, you'll see like where we either came from either for better or worse. <laughs> and like a lot of people are probably going to this movie thinking that the person who's going to utter get out is a white person. And it's oh, sure. not, it's, it ultimately is a movie. It's a cautionary tale. Like for black people mm-hmm. and like takes its time sort of deconstructing the horror tropes that like a white audience was hoping for. Yeah. And that's a neat trick. So I'm going to have to give it a good, good, a soft, good, good, but like, it's just too well done to like be bad. Soft, like, good, good. You don't, you don't feel you're not hyped on it right now. I just I'm think really by, hyped on it. I'm pretty hyped on it. I saw it a few days ago, but I have to say like by our rating system in terms of watchability, just sheer watchability. I don't think this will become a movie that I see more than one more time. Sure. Yeah. It's an interesting question because I was also thinking about this movie in the context of 10 Cloverfield Lane, which, you know, saved us from the February hellscape last year. A similar sort of like thriller trapped in a place premise with a person, people who you don't know their motives. And there's like a political undertone to like, right. The but instead of like taking on racism in the U S like full bore, it was just like, what if we're a spinoff to that movie you kind of liked from five years ago? <laughs> Right, and I think I said that 10 Cloverfield Lane was good, bad, because I was just like, there is not enough, There, like, it was quite a sensory experience, There, but there's not enough here to make me want to go back, and I think in the case of this movie, like, I would happily, like, test my first watch by, like, watching, like, really putting a magnifying glass up to the first act. 
Um, yeah. No, I think it's, I mean, it's definitely better than 10 Cloverfield Lane. Oh, no doubt. But I think it's still going to have to be a, a soft good good because of, it's just because of its genre. Sure. I got you. Um, yeah, I'm pretty psyched on it, obviously. I So, I mean, a, a pretty firm good good for me. I think, I like I said, I think if you're going to, if I wanted to knock it down for anything, it's that, uh, you know, Peel is not, not yet could become he's not yet quite a visualist um but it's and yeah and then i don't think the i think that whitford is maybe the only one who uh is not just reading amazing dialogue you know like daniel uh kaluuya is is good in this movie and allison williams is good but the dialogue is so good like that the moves they you know, you imagine Peel directing them, and he's just like, Allison Williams, when we do the turn, we're just going to tweak you, like, 10 degrees. Well, they took, and like, there's, like, Allison Williams, can you do, like, Marnie from Girls, except, like, you're actually abducting black men. Right. And Daniel Kaluuya, yes, Daniel Kaluuya is so easy to root for. Right. Like, he just has to be the normal one who you don't want to see lobotomized for racial purposes. <laughs> right. Uh, um so I, you know, I don't, I don't think everything is rising to the occasion, but the script is so good that it can push everything else up. I, I, I'm very happy that this movie exists. Absolutely. In the way that I'm yeah. happy that Moonlight won Best Picture in a surprise overtime victory. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's, but. And you know you don't want to pigeonhole them, but like, but this is what happens when when somebody uh, with influence, whether it be uh, Jason Blum with Blumhouse or Brad Pitt's production company Plan B, when you're just like, you know what, you have a different story than me, you have a different worldview than me, go tell it, and I will I will be over here just making sure you have right, what you need, and that's what we want. That's we need that. Let's, and that's the thing too, like. Movies about the same characters over and over again are boring. Like yeah. the reason that Moonlight and Get Out are so good is because they're not boring because you don't know what's going to happen because <laughs> you're being exposed to a whole new like thing, like a whole new worldview. And like yes. there's something fun about that. Like just let it in. There's something necessary about it. Yeah. We need it. Um Happy mini pod, everyone! Thanks so much uh, for listening. We've got uh, we've got a couple full episodes in the cooker, but for now, uh, you can go back and listen to our Oscar pod if you want to hear a couple confident sounding people be wrong. Um, and it's all on berealguys.com, SoundCloud, iTunes, Overcast, wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you so much for listening, and uh, you know, stay safe out there. Watch your back. Absolutely, someone could be trying <laughs> to steal your brain. <laughs> Get out. Sorry, man. Get out! Yo! Rose, we gotta go. Is everything okay? Rose, the keys. Just get the keys. I don't know where they are. Rose?